Good morning. The Bible says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The greatness of God is unsearchable. Please stand with me as we begin with prayer and then we'll start singing our praises to the Lord. Father God, you have marked out the heavens with your hand. Lord, as you sit above the circle of the earth, we are like grasshoppers, yet you love us. Lord, we want to praise you this morning because of your greatness and because of your great love. Thank you for all that you have given us, your many blessings. As we come, I pray that you would help us to tune our hearts to sing your grace. In your precious son's name, amen. Shifting shadows 
certainty, honor and blessing, glory and praise to the King, crowned with power and authority. Stone is rolled. 
so grateful for that truth we just sang about and for before that the celebration of Easter morning Lord and how we can sing those songs every day as a celebration and as we remember today in communion uh, that death on the cross Lord Lord uh, break our hearts Lord bring us to our knees before you in adoration and praise and service Lord and as we as we give back to you, Lord, in this, in this way that we do with our money and our tithes, Lord, Lord, we ask that you use it for your glory and your glory alone, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And we will continue through the chapter of 119 in Psalms. And you see it up on the board there, 113 through 120. And uh, please read along with me if you're uh, able to. Verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live. And let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. When we read the word of God, you realize we hear the voice of God in those words. Let's stand together and sing this old hymn together. Thy job. 
the word. Well, good morning. Thank you, team. If you, uh, welcome to the Alliance Church today, and uh, if you're expecting to hear Pastor Marv, well, he's, he's uh, returning from our national pastor's convention this week, and he'll be here next week. And I was thinking this week about, you know, if I had to go to a conference and I needed someone to fill into me and, and Pastor Marv came over to my shop and tried to do what I do, that people would be there with handcuffs for him, you know. So uh, we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help today and trust that when his word is opened, we'll hear the voice of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence here. Lord, we, we ask for your help. Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit to um, open our eyes that we may see Jesus. And may Jesus be glorified in what we do today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, <coughs> you have to excuse me. I declare myself healed, but my voice is a little bit behind. Um, if I mentioned a, a name of a character in the Bible from the Bible, you would undoubtedly think of one thing. And if I said the name Noah, you would think of Noah's Ark, right? Or if I said Joseph, you would think Joseph's coat of many colors. Or if you're my generation, Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat, right? But if I mentioned Thomas, you would think doubting Thomas. That's not really fair. One time in his life, he doubts. And forevermore, in all eternity, he's known as doubting Thomas. I mean, if some guy in heaven comes up to you and says, Hi, my name's Thomas, no last name, don't say, Doubting Thomas? Right? That wouldn't go well. But today, we're going to look at Thomas, and what we're going to see is actually Thomas was a man of faith. And not just a wishy-washy faith like the world embraces, not like, what, well, whatever you believe is okay, and it's true for you, and not true for me. No, Thomas didn't want that kind of faith. He wanted to believe in what was really true. He wanted to believe in the facts, the truth, what was proven to be true. That's what he wanted to believe in. So as we look at Thomas, we see, other than being in lists of the disciples, you know, all here's all 12 of them, his name appears. He only appears in the Bible three times, and they're all in the book of John. So it's actually a continuation of our series on John, and we're studying Thomas today. So it's a little out of order. So if you open your Bibles, there's uh, Bibles in front of you. I'll be uh, reading from the English Standard Version. There's a copy in front of you. There's also a copy of the NIV. So John chapter 11. So if you open your Bibles and turn, or your devices, and turn to John chapter 11. And this is the story of Lazarus. And if you recall that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were brother and sister. 
And Jesus loved that family, right? So Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. Now at this time, Jesus is hanging out with the disciples with John the Baptist about 70 miles away from where Lazarus was. He's over across the way. So Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and he says, hmm, should we rush? Mm, no, we're going to stay right here, okay? So let's read John chapter 11, verse 5. John chapter 11, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? So the disciples say, hey, wait a minute, Jesus. We, we just came from there and they were trying to kill us. Are you sure you want to go back there? It's not really safe. Skip down to verse 14. John chapter 11, verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. So Thomas is trying to convince the other disciples, hey, listen, even though we're going to die, let's go. Jesus says, let's go. I know he'll protect us. But if we're going to die, I'm all in. So Jesus, excuse me, so Thomas was the only one of the disciples who said, let's go. Jesus says, go, even though we're going to die, let's go. Thomas was all in. Thomas was a man of faith. The problem is Thomas had a bit of a misconception. He thought Jesus was here to overthrow the Roman Empire, overthrow the government. You see, he didn't really grasp that Jesus was here on a, for a spiritual dimension, not on a political dimension. So the next time we see Thomas is in John chapter 14. So flip over a couple of pages to John chapter 14. So Thomas, like all of the disciples, is hearing Jesus say that he's going to be their savior. That, but they're thinking that he's going to overthrow the Roman government, right? And, but they're all getting excited that Jesus, of Jesus' coming reign that he's talking about. But they think it's political and not spiritual. So this is Jesus speaking, John 14, verses, verse 1, okay? This is, John, this is Jesus speaking. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus tells the disciples, look, I'm going to go away and build a mansion. And you're welcome to come with me. I mean, in fact, in fact you're going to come with me. Verse 4 says, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going, how can we know the way? So Tom, what they're hearing Jesus say is, I'm going to go build a mansion. They're thinking, okay, 30 miles down this way, take a left, you're going to build us a mansion. Jesus says, then you know the way. Thomas says, whoa, wait a minute. I'll follow you, but you're going to have to give me some directions, right? So Thomas is the one going, okay, I'll follow you, but you're just going to have to help me out here. 
But Jesus said, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Thomas just doesn't grasp the spiritual truth of what Jesus is trying to say. His, he was, his narrow scope of his imagination just couldn't understand. He just didn't grasp the death and resurrection thing that Jesus was talking about. He just didn't comprehend that Jesus' going away to prepare a mansion was spiritual and not a mansion here on earth. But Jesus ends this discourse by telling him what? He says, I and the Father are one. He basically claims that you know me, you know God. At this point, it doesn't sink in to anybody who's there. But this declaration becomes important for the next passage that we're going to study. But either way, Thomas is all in. He hears Jesus say, I'm going to go and build a mansion. Thomas says, okay, I'll follow you, but you're just going to have to give me some direction on how to get there. Okay, so my first point from these passages is, even though you don't understand all of the fine points of theology, you can still have saving faith by trusting in Jesus and what he has done for you. You see, some people delay in putting their faith in Christ until they know all of the fine points. They hear the gospel. They hear that God made them and loves them. But our sins separate us from God, and those sins must be paid for. But the good news is the payment has been made through Jesus' sacrifice. And everyone that believes on the name of the Lord will be saved and saved for life eternal. They hear the gospel, they hear that, but they want to know, what about this Calvin-Armenian debate? I mean, when is Christ's return? Is it before the millennium, after the millennium? Is it during the tribulation, after the tribulation? They get bogged down in that. So I would encourage you, today you hear the gospel, that's what you need to believe. And don't get bogged down in the fine points. So now we come to our main passage for the day, and that's in John chapter 20. So flip over there. So this was all intro, by the way. You'll be out of here sometime soon. So John chapter 20. You see, in John chapter 20, is uh, talking about the resurrection. And, and Jesus told the disciples many times, plainly and metaphorically, that he was going to have to die and be raised again. But nobody grasped the meaning of that. See, after Jesus' death, they all went back to their houses, huddled in and locked in. I mean, there was no one on Saturday morning. Jesus died Friday. On Saturday morning, there was no one going, man, I just can't wait for Sunday morning when Jesus is going to be raised again. They all missed it. They didn't get it. You see, they all thought this was a big fizzle. I mean, their hopes were crushed. Mary's at the tomb crying. She just, she doesn't get it, right? But our scene opens with the resurrection of Jesus. So this is John chapter 20, verse 11. So flip to John chapter 20, verse 11. So, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So even Mary, she's at the tomb weeping. She's sad, 
Jesus appears to her, and she's, it, it's just so far from her mind that Jesus could re- rise from the dead that she doesn't even recognize him, right? So down to verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. So it does, it does click with her, and then she goes and tells the disciples. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Whoa, what a change. I mean, Thomas, we saw in chapter 11, he's all in. He's the only one of the disciples saying, all right, we're going to go back to Judea. We're going to get stoned, but I'm all in. Chapter 14, we saw Thomas say, I'll follow you, Jesus, to your mansion, but you're just going to have to give me some directions on how to get there. Well, what's changed? See, all his hope was in Jesus and his promised reign, and now he's dead. And he says, unless I have real proof, I, know, I will not believe. See, he knows that if people want something bad enough, they may hallucinate it or even make things up. And he's thinking, man, I really trusted in Jesus to be what he thought he was going to be, overthrow the Roman government, but, and he says, I've been tricked. And he says, I'm going to need proof because I don't want to be tricked again. He wants to believe in what is really true. This brings me to my second point, which is the truth transforms doubt into deeper faith. The truth transforms doubt into deeper faith. You see, without real truth, there will always be a nagging doubt in the back of your mind that what you're believing may not exactly be the truth. It's the truth which will alleviate your doubt. So put yourself in Thomas's shoes. Thomas has seen Lazarus, Lazarus being raised from the dead. He saw Jesus take a man who was blind from birth, he's 40 years old, and give him sight. He saw many other miracles. And just a couple days ago, at Jesus's betrayal in the garden, you know, Judas comes up with all these Roman soldiers, and Thomas is thinking, all right, the game is on, here we go. Peter cuts off the ear of the servant, Thomas is like, all right, here it comes. Music getting real loud. And, but Jesus heals the ear. Thomas is thinking, whoa, this is a funny way to do an overthrow of the government. But okay, Jesus, this is what you want. And then Jesus dies. So Jesus, so he's thinking, I have doubt. His hopes are crushed because Jesus is dead. So he says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger 
into the mark on the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So that brings, brings me to my next point, which is our faith can grow when we acknowledge and admit our doubt. Our faith can grow when we acknowledge and admit our doubt. See, it, identifying and admitting our doubt is the first step in the way to begin to overcome these doubts. So what claims of Christ are you doubting? I mean, be honest, we all have doubts from various times. So is your doubt based on maybe simply a lack of knowledge of what Jesus' claims are and what the proofs are of those claims? See, I've had opportunity over the years to participate from time to time in the IUP International Student Friendship Program. And Donna Singoda and Candy Deemer are active in this program. And it's a program where they pair up international students, students from other countries, never been to America before with local people. And we, so I get paired up with this student and we meet for coffee and go for sandwiches. He loved hamburgers. And so he was here for about two years and about, he came from a country that was atheistic. He knew nothing about Christ. I mean, he, he didn't, he was interested in what, what, what was Christ all about, but he had no knowledge of what the claims are that Christ made. So after about a year and a half of going to Mavis's Sunday school and, and meeting with me, he one day said, you know what, Mark? I took Christ as my Savior today. His, knowledge, his doubt of Jesus' claims were basically because he had no knowledge of what Christ's claims were. Well, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've undoubtedly seen teens grow up in the church. They, they walk the Christian walk. They live, grew up in a, in a good Christian home. And then they go off to college and they, they hear their friends and their professors say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you really believe it. And as long as you're a good person, you'll make it. And they begin to doubt. And they don't, they doubt that what they've believed this whole time is actually true. See, they never, they have a head knowledge of Christ, but they've never taken uh, the Lord as their Savior and made Christ, Lord of their life. So they doubt. Well, we've all witnessed people who grew up in the church who, maybe not grew up, but have been here for 20 or 30 years even, and they've uh, contributed to the church and worked in the church, and then one day they have a massive hurt in their life. Maybe their spouse files for divorce, or they get cancer, or their spouse gets cancer, and they, or a child dies, and they pray for healing, and they they ask the Lord to heal them the way they want to be healed, and, and the healing doesn't come. And so they begin to doubt the goodness of the Lord, or they doubt that the Lord is actually as powerful as he says he is, because if he knows if, they were, if he was really powerful, he would take care of the situation. So what is your doubt based on? Is it because the, doubt, the Lord hasn't healed you the way you want it to be healed? Or is it because you have making many small choices? You choose the world over the Lord day in and day out, and you grow farther and farther away from the Lord, and then one day you wake up and you think, I'm not sure I believed any of that anyway. You see, for Thomas, it was a wrong understanding of why Christ came. Jesus didn't come to overthrow the government, but Thomas didn't understand that. But what is the basis of your doubt? You see, fully knowing Christ will dispel that doubt. So my next point is that studying the word of God will reveal God to us and fully knowing Christ 
will dispel all doubt. You see, you need to get into the Bible and seek the real truth, and that will dispel your doubt. Verse 26 of John chapter 20 says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So it's, it's eight days later that Thomas was, is with the disciples. So he's had eight days to think about what's going on. I mean, he hears Mary tell him that he saw Jesus. The other disciples are saying, hey, you know what? We saw Jesus. He remembers the miracles. He remembers the resurrection of Lazarus. And he thinks, can this really be true? I mean, the, the disciples swear they saw Jesus. Is this really true? Brings me to my next point, which is, Encountering Christ develops faith and answers our doubts. So an encounter with Christ develops our faith and answers our doubts. So if you're having doubts, don't just sit there and live in your doubt. But once you have identified that you have doubt, the remedy for that doubt is an encounter with Christ. Dig into the Word. Dig into the Word. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. Ask the tough questions. Ask the questions like, why would God allow this tragedy to happen to me? Or, why did God allow my child to get sick? Are you really as powerful as you say you are? You see, frequent, questions like that are frequently the basis for our doubt. But the good news is there are answers, and they're found in the Bible. So you need to satisfy your doubt. So just like Thomas was pondering what Christ said, we need to ponder the depths of the words of Christ and let them transform our lives from doubt and uncertainty and loneliness to truth and peace and community. Verse 27 says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand, out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus uses Thomas' own words that he used a week before. Jesus shows Thomas exactly what he needs to alleviate his doubt. Jesus is pursuing Thomas and wants to answer his doubt. Thomas was thinking, how could Jesus promise to be Savior of the world and then now he's dead? That just doesn't make sense. But Jesus, by his action, said, yes, I died, but I've been raised to life again. And my resurrection shows that I have power over death and shows that I have power to make all that I have said come true. That brings me to my next point, that Jesus pursues his people. He wants to answer your doubt. Jesus pursues his people. He wants to answer your doubt. See, Jesus' mission was to seek and to save those who are lost, and he's pursuing you. You may be new to Christianity and just trying to figure out what this is all about. Perhaps you're doubting Jesus simply because you don't know exactly what the claims are that Jesus made. You don't have faith in Jesus because you don't know what his claims are and the proofs are that it, what he has claimed is actually the truth. And they're not just some random claims like, hey, there's power in crystals, right? You've been, maybe been a Christian for decades and you understand that Jesus is your only hope for salvation, but you have doubts. Excuse me, you have pain or your cancer hasn't been healed and you don't understand, so you doubt. But Jesus is seeking you. He's seeking your undivided attention. You see, your focus on your particular disease or pain or struggle or whatever it is, is taking your focus off God. 
it's causing you to doubt God's goodness and it's putting your focus on yourself. See, we're going to live for what we focus on. Jesus wants all of you. My next point is we will live for what we focus on. He wants your focus. He wants your undesired, unde, undivided attention. Verse 28, Thomas replies, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He finally puts it together. He still didn't figure out how this was all going to work out, but he knew from that point that Jesus was God. And he knew because Jesus was God that everything that he had said was in fact true. See, back in John chapter 11, Thomas witnesses Lazarus being risen from the dead. And he doesn't say to Lazarus, my Lord and my God. What's the difference? The difference is that Jesus' own resurrection proves that he had the power to make all of his claims come true. Other religions make claims. Buddhists may claim, they claim that there's an endless cycle of life, death, reincarnation, life, death, reincarnation. If you're good in this life, you'll be reincarnated one step closer to heaven. And if you're bad in this life, you'll be reincarnated maybe as a grasshopper. They think that there's thousands and millions of these reincarnations. That's, that's their claim. But what's their proof? What's the proof for this claim? Their proof is a feeling of deja vu. Well, feelings can fool you. Feelings aren't facts. Feelings aren't proof. Feelings are just that. They're feelings. See, Muhammad made claims about Islam, but both Muhammad and Buddha are dead in their graves. Their claims have no validity. There's no proof that what they said is true. Christ's claims are true because he has demonstrated that he has power over death. He has conquered death and sin, and it is through him that we find salvation. The proof is in the resurrection. The proof is the empty tomb. You see, there is no evidence to disprove the resurrection of the Christ. It is a fact. It is the truth. It really happened. And it is the proof that everything Christ said was in fact true. Thomas really believed that Jesus was God because he saw Jesus in the flesh after his burial. So, after his resurrection. It was that point he knew that everything that Jesus said was in fact true. Verse 29 says, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So Jesus blesses his Thomas's. Jesus blesses Thomas because he is finally and absolutely convinced that the claims were true. But what some people have taken this verse to mean that is, is that it is better to believe in something that has no proof than something that is based on the facts and the evidence. But that's not what that means. See, many people in our society put value on faith as if faith itself was the goal. But faith has only value if what you put it in is actually true. See, once a year, I get to take some continuing education, and I've, for several years, I've taken it at a conference held in Arizona. And at the hotel where the conference is held, they have a spa, and one year, my wife wandered into the spa to check it out, and as soon as she walked in, they handed her a crystal. And they said, you need to have faith, because this crystal will heal you. Well, what is the evidence for that? I mean, 
faith in Crystal's healing powers is faith without evidence. What are the facts that support someone having that kind of faith? There are none. But God has not asked us to have faith without evidence. My ninth point. The reality of the risen Christ has the power to destroy doubt. It's the reality, it's the truth, it's the fact of the risen Christ which has the power to destroy doubt. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These are written so that you may believe. See, John recorded for us what he saw with his own eyes. Jesus appeared to 500 people at a time. And then Paul, and Paul in 1 Corinthians says, listen, you don't have to believe me. Go ask them, these 500 people. They're still around, right? The reality of the risen Christ has power to destroy doubt. You see, we have the testimony of multiple eyewitnesses written down and preserved for us in the Bible. These are written so that you may believe. Here's the proof. Jesus is not asking you to believe in something that has no proof, no blind belief in the power of crystals here. Blessed are you when you believe the evidence which is presented to you. We don't get to observe Jesus' death and resurrection ourselves, but we have the evidence given to us by eyewitnesses written down in the Bible. We believe what is true, not what we wish were true. We believe in the facts. Faith itself has no power. It's the object of our faith which has the power. Faith in crystals or whatever doesn't heal. Faith in Jesus saves. It's Jesus that saves. My last point. Your faith will grow as you search the truth and examine the evidence. So, you need to find out what is true. Seek the truth. Read the eyewitnesses' accounts recorded for us in Scripture and belief. Faith in what is actually true will dispel your doubt. Jesus is our only hope. And the proof is given by his resurrection. And we have the written testimony of many people who witnesses. The Bible contains all we need to believe and have saving faith. May you find rest for your souls by believing in the fact of the resurrection and which proves that Jesus has the power necessary to make all that he has said come true. As we come to the Lord's table today, we are reminded, even as Mark reminded me us in his sermon, of Christ dying for us. Now, we come to the table as believers. I, mu I must preface this first, that uh, uh, we need to not come to the table unworthy. Um, if we're not a believer in Christ, we will uh, bring judgment on ourselves for that. So, uh, I preface it with that. But as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I just want you to uh, uh, 
none of us are truly worthy. We're not sinless. We have not lived a sinless life, but um, we come knowing that Christ has washed away those sins, and that's what makes us worthy. So um, if, if I'd ask if the ushers would come up. So at the time Jesus spoke these words, his disciples did not know the, the, uh, the full consequences or the full glory that would come by uh, not only Jesus dying on the cross, but being raised again. But at the time he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. It's been good to be together this morning, hasn't it? Let's stand. We're going to sing a song. Um, Brian and uh, these guys are going to help lead. This is a song. We've got Bible school coming up. And so this is a song that's been a favorite at Bible school the last few years. And I, I thought, why don't we sing it too? So this is going to be part of our regular rotation. Um, but be warned, don't be distracted by their cuteness. You're supposed to sing along, okay? All right? This is called uh, My Lighthouse. In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You want to be The silence you won't let go in the questions which you will your great love will be me. You are peace in my
Well, I'll close this out. Um, originally, I had said when we were meeting in the back uh, for prayer before the service, I said, well, I'm not going to do the benediction. I don't think that's my thing. Uh, so I, I feel that it's only appropriate we close in prayer, and then please don't leave after the prayer as we I give a, a short benediction for you. Lord, we just uh, come to you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the uh, many blessings in our lives, Lord. Lord, as we were reminded that our, our, uh, it's not just about our faith, but it's the object of our faith. We're reminded through, our, uh, through communion today, Lord, and uh, reminding until you come. Lord, we just uh, pray as we go through our week, Lord, that uh, uh, we are mindful of you and we don't keep, uh, stray our focus from you, Lord, with all the distractions that the, the world can offer. Lord, and we just pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, I don't do this benediction thing all the time, but I feel, as we had the kids uh, singing up here, the only thing that could come through my mind was uh, to faith like a child. So, as you receive your gift today, just have faith like a child, like these kids up here, uh, singing their hearts out. Uh, they're not distracted with everything that, that we are in life, but they have faith. So, I leave you with that.